0: This this, show is brought to you by Safety FM.
1: Warning, the following podcast contains adult language, adult content, weird and unusual stories that all happen to be true. We didn't start this war on safety, but we're going to fight that safety war and we're going to win it. Welcome to Safety Wars. We are trying something a little bit different here. We're going with a slightly different format than my commentary. And we're going to be doing more of these. Today I interview Dawn Becker Dernan. She is my insurance agent. And we're going to be talking specifically about homeowners insurance. This is an ongoing theme this month. September 2021 of disaster preparation month and part of disaster preparation is to make sure that you have enough insurance dawn specializes in homeowners insurance policies but she covers many different policies and as you'll see in the conversation that we have we go all over the place but when do i not go all over the place computer okay hey Yeah. Uh, we're here with dawn becker who is the vice president of People First Property and Casualty uh, Insurance, right? One of the largest private insurance companies, privately owned insurance companies in the country. And I think that's accurate, isn't it, Don?
0: That is accurate. We are the third largest United States privately owned insurance agency in the country.
1: Right. I've known Dawn for about 15 years. Has it been that long? 15, roughly?
0: Uh Yes. It
1: About 15 years and for the complete disclosure she is a friend a dear friend and uh, my insurance agents agent for jcp technical and safety wars so uh it was a natural lead-in because dawn uh we recently had the uh, uh building collapse over in the Service side apartments champlain whatever they're called over in florida dawn champlain is champlain
0: towers
1: champlain towers dawn is a uh specialists and homeowners and uh, homeowners associations with their insurance policies she also specializes in uh for companies like mine and probably a lot of other companies but her uh i better turn that turn this do not disturb on here <laughs> Jim,
0: just for the record i am not the insurance agent on behalf of champlain towers i just nope. want to be clear about that but i do uh I am in that industry of community association insurance or common interest communities, such as your homeowners, townhomes, condominiums and the like, co-ops.
1: Right, and I'm not the, I'm not working on that project for the accident investigation. Uh, and anything that we mention is probably in the public record already and in the public domain. So Correct. we don't have any speci- uh, specific things, but a lot of the issues that go on, uh, with homeowners associations. Uh, you know, what I want to talk about is what do you look for? We're talking about disaster preparation, disaster response this month over our safety wars. And I wanted to get into. What do you look for? Your safety, uh, you know, your for insurance. What are the pitfalls? If you're a member of, home, of a homeowners association, what do you look for? So, I wanted to. I'll follow the uh, Jay Allen model here. How exactly did you get into this?
0: Well, I don't think anybody ever said it's when they're five years old. When I grow up, I want to be an insurance agent, right? but lots of us dream of being police officers or firefighters or doctors. And I actually wanted to be a physician, but I wasn't exactly wealthy enough to do so. And I was going along the community college route and at the, and I was also finishing up community college and I started doing a nursing program there. And while I was- oops.
1: That's your dog. Yes,
0: yeah, so I'll start over.
1: No, you don't have so, to start over let's keep going we're very okay. organic here
0: okay so so i was in college and i had also been a volunteer firefighter since i had been 16 years old i joined a rescue squad that was also a fire department that was and, back in new
1: jersey northern new jersey northwest new Jersey.
0: back in new jersey central jersey and i became a firefighter when i turned 18. i went through fire academy i became um an officer in the fire company I was an interior firefighter. I was also responsible for driving the vehicles and pumping the truck. So I had a pump operator certification as well as an incident command uh, certificate. I had completed all my levels so that I could become an officer within the uh, fire department. At a very young
1: age there, 18, 19, 20.
0: Yes, and there was not a lot of women in the fire service at all. But as we know, with the fire industry, one of the most important things is training. Mm-hmm. It's also regarding your personal protective equipment or your PPE and how to utilize that. Because before we can save property or a person, we must make sure that we ourselves are safe and that the scene is safe before we enter. So, nursing- oh, that, That's called,
1: correct uh, me if I'm wrong, the pyramid of priorities in the fire yes. industry.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So very similar, you know, with nursing, you know, except as a firefighter, I'm preser- my job is to preserve the property primarily and save lives, sec- you know, not secondary, but first, if, if that is what happens. But most of the time, it's just putting out a fire. Nobody's typically dying in a fire situation, hopefully. But with the insurance, I was in, I was actually working in private practice for an orthopedist. And it was the nineties and times were changing, right? We had computer systems, we weren't using, we were using paper files, but we had that regime of old nurses that just really didn't like computers. They didn't like the whippersnappers like me who came along and said, don't use the typewriter, let's use the computer, let's be more organized. And of course I'm learning a little bit differently than maybe the old regime of nurses.
1: So that's like the uh, generational difference that we're seeing today.
0: Yes. And I said, you know what, Where, what am I going to accomplish here? Where am I going to be? Am I going to run an office and become like the head nurse? Right. <laughs> am I going to change bed sheets? And you know, who knows what this nursing career could do for me. And my uncle sat down with me and he was an insurance adjuster for Lumberman's Mutual. And he said, wow. He said, nursing, you're not really crazy about that. You joined the fire department. Not sure what you're doing about that. He said, why don't you get into workers' compensation case management? It'll give you the ability to travel, right. do whatever. And I said, that sounds amazing. And I called up a headhunter.
1: And this is a New Jersey workers' comp, which Correct. is... And so eight, workers com- I,
0: com- Yeah, workers' comp case manager would basically be the nurse that would travel right. with the injured employee. And they would take notes and work with the doctor. And, and their goal is really to return that employee to work. How right. significant are their injuries and what treatments can we arrange? So that sounded really interesting to me. And I said, okay, how do I get that job? <laughs> and my, my uncle said, well, you could check with the college or you can also go um, to a headhunter and see what's available in the insurance industry. And I called on a Friday and I had a job by Monday because the amount, they, the amount of money that they put on the table was twice the amount that I was making. And it came with benefits and all sorts right. of great things like a 401k, and I couldn't resist. Well, the better part about it was I wasn't actually in, in, in the nursing field. It was the headhunter said, I don't have a position for you as a workers' comp case manager, but I do have a position with an insurance company and you can start at the bottom and kind of work your way up. And it was for a real estate developer in New Jersey who's very well known. Mm -hmm. And I started from the bottom up and I worked my way through with their insurance program, handling construction bonds, uh, property and casualty, as well as discussing contractual risk transfer. And so it grew from there. And I think really when you look back at my career, risk management is what I do. I am managing the risk or recommending how someone can manage their risk. I do a very specialized type of insurance, right. and I advise my clients in very specialized types of insurance that require a very sophisticated degree of knowledge and expertise. And oftentimes, I encumber, encounter people who may be in the insurance field, but they don't understand this industry. And I like to say, similar to a doctor... Yes, we right. all have the MD. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but similar like a doctor. But if you come to me, I'm like the cardiac surgeon, right? right. I'm going to repair your heart and do heart surgery. But if you had a heart attack, you wouldn't see a podiatrist, right?
1: Well, uh, you know my mother's story on that. She had an inner ear disturbance and they thought it was her heart and she got a pacemaker. <laughs> So we go to the doctor. We go to the hospital. She's sick. How come you have a pacemaker? Because she had a severe inner ear infection.
0: <laughs> so maybe I gave a bad example there. Yeah,
1: you know. yeah, And then they said, "No, we, no, no, Mr. Bowles, we're serious. How come your mother has that? Because she went to a had an inner ear infection. She went to a doctor to put some pacemakers, and they put in a pacemaker. You know, it's it's." That's typical with safety wars. We get these crazy stories on
0: everything. I can imagine. I have crazy stories. Crazy, insane.
1: So, homeowner's insurance. Mm -hmm. Let's say that you're uh, now usually with disaster preparation. We're talking about people who are into bugging out, who are into off the grid type stuff. But that's not typical. We call it as I call it a scenario three and four where you're going to be with basically primitive living or very long-term disasters and surviving. But a lot go, has to go into exact before you get there, right? We talk about food, we talk about water, we talk about PPE, we talk, we talk about all this stuff, right? But one of those things that has to go in there is insurance. And it's very common for us, right, uh, prep in the prepping world, we're living in a homeowners, uh, we're living in an apartment complex. Maybe we're part of a homeowners insurance, uh, association. Maybe we're all those things. What are some of the red flags that you look for? I know we've talked at length at some of the crazy, uh, stuff. You never wrote confidentiality agreements to my knowledge, but you know, without mentioning names, obviously, what are some of the crazy things that you need to look for? And, uh, everything else with it
0: so to start with with community associations there is typically what's called a declaration right or that is going to provide essentially how the association what it's comprised of and how it's going to be enforced by the board it gives the duties in the bylaw to it's going to explain in the bylaws what authorities the board has to do certain actions right So
1: basically it's a constitution except for the organization yes. or a charter or something like that whatever you have it a
0: hundred percent however right. local city and state and federal laws will always trump those within the association it's right it's own city so it's essentially coming up with its own rules and regulations and how it will be governed right and so in there almost all of them have insurance sections which state what the association is required to ensure. That's the basics. And not many declarations are very specific. Some are, but most are general and they give, you know, property, general liability, directors right. and officers, sometimes workers' compensation, sometimes umbrella. So we start there. In those governing documents are also the rules. And I have to tell you, people who live in an HOA. They don't read that declaration as much as they need to, and even the board of directors sometimes don't read. Right.
1: The, so, so like uh, when you're going into a uh, deliberative assembly of some sort, and you try to go by Robert's rules of orders, Robert's rules yes. of order, but yes, nobody that's... actually reads Robert's rules of order, and then uh, there's confusion.
0: Well, actually, one of the things that we ask when we are interviewing a board who's looking for insurances, do you follow Robert's rules? Right. And I will tell you that that's a clear indication when they say, who's Robert? Yeah. <laughs> and why do we have to follow him? Where are we going? And
1: what did I, what I didn't realize was, no, I, no one, you know what my past life was. And what I did was that those rules get updated and like every couple, I don't know who updates them, but they get updated. Yes. Uh, and so Parliamentary that's an amendment. Some
0: associations file an amendment. So if you live in a community association, you need to be well-versed on what those CCNRs, those covenants and conditions and restrictions, allow or disallow. Most of the times community associations get into trouble or have lawsuits because somebody is in violation of that governing document, meaning that they're either not funding the association properly, or the association is discriminating against a member, a third party, or they've not obtained proper insurance and they have uninsured losses. And you asked me a great question. You said, so, you know, in like crazy stories and crazy things and preparing and risk and um, when, you know, how do people prepare? Well, we talk a lot to our community associations, especially those that are located along the coast. Right. That they need to have a plan before things happen. They need to know, first of all, what emergency responders will be coming.
1: Right.
0: What's their response time? How quick are they going to get there? Where's the access points within a community, the entrance, the egress? Are there gates? Are they electronic? Who has the codes? What type of buildings are in the community? How many stories? Will the ladder truck reach?
1: Would the uh, demography of the community also be included?
0: Absolutely. Then we're going to want to know too, where are the hydrants? Are there hydrants? Maybe there's not. The other things are, you have all these people that live in a community. Where are they going to go? Do you have a staging area? Is there an area off site that right. these people can meet? How are you going to contact people to get a head count? Then it comes to- well,
1: here is, uh, Here's a question for you, real quick. Mm-hmm. Not to cut you off, But a lot of these homeowners associations, we got into uh, this discussion one other time, right? Are they employees or not? Because if they are employees, then you need an emergency action plan and you probably need uh, Hascom, Under-OSHA, and all the other stuff.
0: And if you have over
1: 100 employees, you need vaccinations.
0: So most states do not include volunteers that serve on a community association. Uh, to be, they don't determine them to be employees, but you have to check each state individually to see what their laws are and what their definition of an employee is. With respect to OSHA, most um, states, they're going to go back to the state OSHA guidelines in connection who is an employee. But for example, I have this question in South Carolina, and South Carolina says that volunteers are not considered employees and they are not considered to be governed by OSHA. However, if you hire a contractor, you may be fined by OSHA or responsible for some of the actions of the contractor if there are some occurrences that can be attributed to be your negligence or your party to.
1: Wow, that's, in, that's incredible. So, yeah, we talk about OSHA compliance, but you know, people don't, I know I had an issue with a Homeowners Association where I used to live, and I broke out the OSHA rule book, so they got scared all of a sudden, and then we didn't have a problem.
0: Well, most homeowners ask about OSHA from questions of actually not that they want to hire somebody, but they actually ask it because they want to know if they themselves do the work, right, on the HOA. And a lot of homeowners' boards and their their volunteers do work around the association. For example, cleanup. Um, It could also be just an inspection, walking around around to look at roofs, and so if the volunteers are walking around the premises, there is potential for them to be injured, so workers' compensation can be purchased by community associations, but they have to have a specialized policy that includes an amended uh, endorsement to include coverage for volunteers, because volunteers are typically not covered under workers
1: college. right well uh, well when you consider their exposure i know i'm familiar i was a member of a church council and one of the things that the uh, synod right the, which was the governing body of the church was that nobody went on ladders mm-hmm. if there was something to go on, if there was something to be done no volunteer no one would go on a ladder you had Fair. to actually hire a contractor so where when would you uh because let's look at let's think about it i don't want to I don't want the church to spend money, but I have this old ladder laying around my backyard or garage. I'm going to donate it to the church because I don't want to throw it out. And then God and then someone goes on to the ladder and uh, they fall off the ladder. God forbid they get hurt, but, you know, they fall off the ladder, ladder. Most
0: people don't realize too that ladders have a not a they have a date. Right. They're only so good for so long. They should be inspected, especially if they're used for industrial purposes or commercial purposes. And I actually have a funny story. So the workers' compensation we provide is extended to volunteers so long as the work that they're doing does not require a permit or a license. So we would think of jobs like that, like roofing, you usually need a permit, electrical work, of course, plumbing. So some of the crazy claims we've had for volunteers are, we've had a volunteer who stood on top of a table to put up some party uh, favorite you know, balloons and and streamers and the table collapsed and they were injured. We've also had a table collapse because people sat on it and someone's fingers were crushed. Now I have a funny story. I mean, it may not be too funny, but we've also had a workers' compensation claim for an individual who who shut the drawer on his nether regions so he was leaning over his desk and the drawer was open and his uh, front side was stuck in the drawer tray and he shut it and Jim and the twins were injured
1: wow well that's okay a couple weeks ago we had an episode on uh where we had uh, where i described the need for having an accident management program because we had a guy who played who tried to play his venereal disease on work oh. so we
0: haven't had that so far yeah. but you know um there are claims you know more so of discrimination and- i'm
1: sure if there's first-time listeners here they're gonna want to go back and listen to that
0: <laughs> oh for sure i mean it there is claims sometimes that people are in cahoots together, right? The board members right. sometimes can be married. They could be a husband and wife. Or they could be having an affair or relationship with another board member or even their manager.
1: Well, here's that a... doesn't
0: happen too frequently, though.
1: Uh, well, it's in uh, the 2020s 20, 20, here. Who knows? Anything goes. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, here's some other trivia for you. Okay, the person's decorating, right? They're legally... Under OSHA, they're now construction workers if they're decorating. Oh, and I, so I
0: that.
1: yeah, I know of a charity that was uh, uh going to set up tents and do their own decorations. And these weren't like balloons on the back of chairs, these were like bigger things. And uh the event meeting planner told them, Hey, uh, you know, you're gonna become an, an construction worker at that point. That's we're not construction work so you, that's, you that's, you that's, we don't advise
0: you know. we don't want our, our clients to do that work we really right. we want them to transfer that risk and I was talking about risk management well there's some risk that you can transfer to others so if you can have work performed by a contractor do so right. and you know the other aspect too is um, just going back to OSHA a lot of people ask me all the time am I going to be concerned if there's OSHA violations or do I report OSHA violations now Yes, I am concerned if there's OSHA violations, because if they come up in your history, then the insurance company may be, they most likely will not want to insure the risk. OSHA violations in the insurance business are a big deal. We want to see the report. We want to find out exactly what you did to um, cause the issue. And how did you remedy the situation? Meaning what actions did you take in response to OSHA's fines?
1: All right. Now this is a question for you. Uh, and this is actually going to become very, uh, my, my prediction after I get done with this video, we're going to probably go live, uh, on, uh, you, on YouTube or, uh, Facebook here, uh, or maybe even LinkedIn or Instagram. I don't know. We'll figure that out tonight. Uh, so you're an insurance company. Someone okay. gets an OSHA violation. I'm just saying the hypothetical. Oh, term, okay. but, all right. Are they going to look at a general duty clause violation differently than, let's say, a specific violation of, let's say, the fall protection standard?
0: You know, it's a good question. No claims are ever mutually exclusive. No uh, fines or penalties are ever mutually exclusive either. So it's going to be dependent upon the situation. Right. And it's really going to be to expect what's their past? Right. Has anything ever occurred in the past? And what are they doing now? And have they had training? We do ask about training quite frequently. And if you're involved in hazardous materials or environmental remediation, we will certainly ask if there's hazwoper training.
1: Right. So, getting back to the homeowners association, one of the big flat red flags, and we're going to review a little bit here, is has you no, know, are you familiar with what their governing documents are? Yeah. If the people who are managing this, who are run for election, are not familiar with what the governing documents are, that's a big red flag. That may be something, flag. because now they're putting everybody in, in uh, uh, at risk, or no, at risk for whatever, right? And one of the things that I think we discussed previously, and I'm not, tell me if I'm going into forbidden territory here, is that the... Uh, a lot of times the homeowners association a lot of people get at times people get on the board because they want to hold costs down so yeah. they'd say hey i'm not going to pay x y and z for x y and z policy because so-and-so is upselling me on this stuff and they're just selling me insurance i don't know about i don't want to you know i don't need i don't you know this will never happen like a building collapse sort of thing. Well,
0: Jim, does anybody ever wake up and say, oh my gosh, what a great day. I'm going to buy insurance today. Does anybody ever do that?
1: I do, because that means I get to call you. But but no, but seriously, no. No,
0: insurance is a big burden for many businesses. And I do want it to be emphasized that a community association, even though it's a not-for-profit, is a business. Right. And it is to be managed as if it was a business because it is the assets of the community. So when we as a,
1: as a, a close family of my mine, mine, family member of mine says, nonprofit is only a tax status. It's not how you run the place.
0: Absolutely. hundred percent. hundred percent. Right. Many people are their Their agenda is to cut costs and the typically the biggest budget item, line item, would be the insurance program. No matter if you're a small association or you're a large association, it's always a a very big item on on the agenda, on the budget. So the first thing people wanna do is see how they can minimize the cost. But I'm gonna tell you, has anybody really spent less money on insurance every year? No, you may find a less expensive option but really insurance typically goes up anywhere between three to 15% annually. And that's not just because of the rates, but because we're also increasing our values. Community associations that have buildings need to insure their buildings to a hundred percent of value. We're right now during this pandemic experiencing a major shortage in materials and labor. And so now claims that would have been taken care of in 30 days or less may take six months to settle because the materials are not available to finish the work. (laughs) So the boards look at that insurance and say, oh, my gosh, we've got to save money. And I'm here as an independent insurance agent to advise the community board on what deficiencies they may have with their insurance program and what they Uh, may do in order to have a more comprehensive policy. A lot of our insurances are a la carte. Uh, They're not bundled together. So the boards have a choice of what they wanna purchase. Our goal is always to be the most competitively priced. And as an independent agent, my prices are always the most competitive. My coverages are also the most comprehensive. And it's pretty simple when when you look at what all the coverages are, That really what the board needs to look at is not the price of the insurance, but what and who is administering the insurance for them. Meaning that are they getting service? Are they getting a knowledgeable expert that can inform them of changes and legislation and OSHA requirements, things like that? Or are they just having an insurance agent that renews the insurance policy every year and never has a discussion? Because one of my biggest pet peeves and one of the biggest things that um, upsets me in the insurance world is a board that looks at me as a quote taker versus a professional and an expert in my right. field. And they expect me to be like Geico or progressive and I'm flow and I'm just gonna come out with these numbers. but really i do a very thorough job we look at financials we look at the governing documents we look at claims history we look at the construction the year the age inspection reports engineering reports reserve studies as an insurance agent we're looking at everything we know all the dirty laundry
1: well i know when we renew our policy here and i don't think i'm going i'm giving any information out that i shouldn't be is no, I know you sit down with me for a long time every year, either you or one of your staff members, every year, and we sit down and we talk about this stuff. Yes. And right. that's
0: one of the things to me with the board, who has a manager, for example, they ask their manager to go out and get quotes from a variety of different insurance agents. But at the end of the day, the manager's not licensed. They're not an insurance professional. The board is not licensed and they're not an insurance professional. So uh, So what's your determining factor?
1: It's going to be that bottom line price. Right. And they're not going to, well, the other thing is this, how many insurance companies are out there are going to give you a really hard time with things, you know, with things. We're finding that out with uh, the floods in in my community now, where I'm talking to a whole bunch of our neighbors and stuff who have been here for a long time, just outright nightmare scenarios with insurance where they thought they had an insurance.
0: That's the biggest thing. I thought I had coverage. I was just on a board meeting right before we got on the call and the board member said, but we're covered for all that, right? And I said, well, as an agent, I'm never going to say you're covered for all that. There is no insurance policy that you can purchase that covers everything.
1: I'm sure that there is, but you're going to... It's going to cost them a lot of money.
0: <laughs> well, I like to say to people, you know, most of the times when I find efficiencies in their insurance, they're actually paying too much. And they look at me like I'm crazy. And I said, yeah, you bought paper. <laughs> yeah. Because that's all it was. It would never pay what you thought it would pay for. You purchased a very expensive piece of, you know, a book of paper. Wow.
1: So that's another one is, uh on your board who's actually doing the negotiating who's getting the quotes are they qualified to discuss things with the insurance company are they authorized are they a proxy and how does the insurance how does that board make their decision on how to make insurance which more often than not unfortunately is pardon me price
0: yes price. And, so, and the board's a majority and I always think to myself you know if I have a five member board I've got to get three people that understand My job is to educate the board. I am there to provide alternatives to insurance. And because I'm independent, I'm not held down to one specific insurance company. So I'm going to give them a variety. And when I come to them with a recommendation, it is specific because I've looked already at what's out there. And I've made that determination. Insurance companies are not growing. We're not finding that, you know, there's 10 insurance companies opening up their doors tomorrow. Right, They're all eating each other. Okay. I tell you what, I'm probably in the next five years going to work with somebody that I started working with when I started in the insurance industry over 25 years ago, because it's a small world. We all wind up working for the same company eventually. <laughs> Don't burn any bridges.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Well, I'll be very careful. Uh,
0: It's a very small world it really is we're all sort of well known and we all kind of know each other. Um, It's, it's just what the boards have to look at what is the price of the insurance versus what's the cost of the insurance. So it's one thing that if you pay and you know there's a certain amount, and we're all hoping that the insurance is going to pay that claim or judgment, pay to defend us, but what if it doesn't.
1: Right. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So um, with well, the whole COVID thing, the COVID-19 thing, how has that impacted your end of your, and your, in your
0: world, right? So pandemic insurance was something that you could potentially buy, but it had a lot of exclusions and you probably have to spend a couple million dollars. I believe the U.S. Open had purchased pandemic insurance and I thought it was about $1.7 million and there was a very large deductible. And that pandemic insurance is more for closing down or a special event, meaning that you have an event planned and now something, you know, unfortuitous just occurred. So with the um, pandemic though, viruses may or may have been covered, may or may not have been covered on an insurance policy. Now they're completely excluded. Most insurance companies, if not all have added either a virus exclusion which states absolutely virus whether you know airborne right. bacterial or viral it doesn't matter it's a virus it's a virus they've also added in exclusions which have always been there for mold but they've also added organic particulate organic material also man made right. they've they've put it all in there's even exclusions out in insurance policies for SARS and bird flu well
1: what and the you- kicker is is that with the viruses they have not been able to, they were not able to sample them via bioaerosol, never reproducible uh, validated method until about a year ago. Wow, oh, so, I didn't
0: know that.
1: Yeah, so. so the big
0: concern with know, viability is, but, sorry.
1: That's okay. They're very excitable. <laughs>
0: yes, somebody, one of the kids just went out the door. Um, the the biggest thing with with the virus was community associations right. having to shut down their swimming pools or their playgrounds right. or their gyms and the reason why is because number one they didn't have insurance coverage there was going to be no defense and no indemnification if a community association opened up their swimming pool and somebody claimed or made allegations that right. they were injured or that they suffered damage due to the virus and it was the fault of the association because associations still have they have to protect and maintain, which means you have to protect your members too. You don't want to have a circumstance where you're causing somebody injury, whether it's a disease or or a virus or etc. So many associations were fearful if they reopened. That they wouldn't have that insurance coverage to pay for those. Loans. I know. I did an interview with
1: one of your friends last summer, uh, summer 2020, on specifically that, how do you do a contact trace, right? And well, I uh, think we
0: it, found out you can.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, and you just have to raise the uh, specter of some type of gross negligence of some sort, where okay, well, we weren't taking the precautions, and now all of a sudden, uh, you're, uh, you know. Now you're liable no well, that, that was a
0: big thing we talked about budgets. so everything that a community association does is through funding their funding comes from the monthly or the annual dues that a member pays there's a special assessment that may come for unanticipated costs including capital improvements uh you know replacing a roof something that's uninsurable So if if they don't have earthquake insurance and an earthquake happens, well, guess what? The members are going to be assessed. And so the board, they're identified through the governing document. so long as they act in good faith and they're adhering to the uh, business judgment rule. However, there's still things that are not insurable. So you can do all those things and act in good faith and you can have a monitor at the pool, you can have a cleaning company, But there's always the potential that somebody could become injured. There's been some legislation granted to Mm not-for-profits that they are immune in certain states from litigation um, from COVID-related injuries and deaths. And that's a great thing. Uh, Some boards use waivers. But remember, this is common interest community. So if I have part ownership in the pool, can I really waive my rights? Can a child waive their rights? I mean, these are all legal things, but, you know, the other people thing people is, spoken to about it,
1: right, and the other thing is, if you're a board member, you can be held liable. This is what we're seeing in the Florida system. Yes,
0: and you can be held personally liable, right. and now since Champlain Towers, I think it brings to the forefront how much infighting goes on, and how many people don't listen to each other, and don't heed professional advice.
1: Right, and, you know, on the oversight people doing things, are, no, are they really, qualified?
0: Are they, really are they, qualified? are they credentialed?
1: Are they licensed? Are they experienced? Right? So for example, in our field, there with a certified safety professional or a CHMM, right? Am I? No, I specialize mostly in environmental and construction type things. I wouldn't even per, pretend to go into a TV studio and know that safety. Even though you can be a certified, there are certified safety professionals that manage media and TV studios and things of that nature. It's a oh, very certainly. specialized thing. So uh, you know, you know, So yeah, w- what's your experience? So
0: well, how many? I mean, I don't know if a lot of people really talk to their insurance agents and find out what their experience is because, you know, again, I saw. I said I'm seeing all the dirty laundry. I also see the agents that people are working with, and I wonder are they really vetting their insurance agents? Because as an independent insurance agent, I can represent those same carriers. So I like to say sometimes like you've got the right horse, you just have the wrong jockey. Right. So it's important, you know, is the jockey gonna help you get to the finish line or not? Are they gonna help you accomplish your goals or is it just gonna be a nag?
1: Right. Wow, we covered a lot of material here.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Always. And by the way, for the listeners, this is how our conversations usually go. So we make it a point not to talk to each other more than. No, it's just we need to go to. on and
0: on because it goes on and on and on.
1: So, uh, so how do we find you if you're, you know someone said you know what? where do we find people's first? Where, well, where do we find Dawn?
0: So I am a word of mouth reputation individual. I don't pick up the phone. Number one, I sound like I'm twelve. A lot of people think I'm a very tiny little person. I'm five foot ten. I'm an Amazon. So when I show up on your front door, you know, it's always, oh, it's not what I expected. Um, you know, (laughs) so it's really word of mouth. It's people who have worked with me and have gotten a benefit of understanding their insurance program. Because here's the thing: like I said, I'm an independent agent. I can write insurance with the same insurance companies that you probably already working with with your agent the difference is what can i advise you on and how can i educate you so you make better decisions when you're buying right and i will if you do find a better insurance program for you then god bless and hopefully we'll do business again in the future
1: great that's wonderful so uh this is symposal for safety wars and we were speaking to Dawn Becker, of People First Property and Casualty Services. So uh, if you want to get in contact with her, I'm, she's on LinkedIn. She's Google, uh, you can Google her uh, Dawn Becker, B E C.
0: Oh, Dernan. You
1: got to gather Durnin in. E R D U R N I N. I always knew you as Dawn Becker until you got married. So,
0: yes, and I'm on Twitter. And I do answer Twitter and I'm also on in a retrieval system or transmitted in any form or by any means mechanical electronic recording or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast jay allen